0: Welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. We have Justin Dean, DC, on the show for this episode. Uh, Justin's a pretty unique guy, has done a lot of different things. It's been pretty, it was pretty interesting to hear all the things he's done from helping developing some online resources for people to working with some of the highest level uh, track athletes in the world. Uh, it's pretty incredible. We're definitely going to try and get in around to, around track and field in general, just with my personal interest in it. and. Just because it's one of those sports that I feel like if we go and you really focus on it, you can make most efficient movements to be the best. And that's where we can have our largest effect. But we talk about that dermal traction method, which is something unique that we're definitely going to check out. Uh, Just a lot of good insight here and some things to take a look at. So very interesting episode with him. Uh, Our friends over at Paragon Recovery. Yes, Paragon Recovery. They switched up the name a little bit. They're shifting their focus more to the recovery side of it and they are crushing it we highly recommend checking those guys out we've got a great episode coming up in the near future with paul shekelman one of their founders can't wait to get that out but if you go check that out use promo code cp15 to get 15 percent at Checkoff. if you could subscribe to clinically pressed on itunes we keep hearing across all the podcast episodes that we listen to that it truly does help please go over subscribe give us a five-star rating if you're watching this right now we'll give you the quick tutorial on how to do this um, via some video but please do that check it out we truly appreciate it thank you and enjoy this episode Welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. We're here with Dr. Justin Dean, who's out in California, which I'm guessing the weather is a little nicer than what we're dealing with here in Wisconsin. Uh, but we're going to talk multiple things today from dermal traction method, uh, which we're super curious about, uh, rehab to performance, working internationally, and it sounds like you got a bunch of other things coming up in the hopper. So before we jump into all that, do you want to give your own little background um, sure, your bio sure. about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is Dr. Justin Dean. I am traditionally trained as a chiropractor Um, and then I also have been trained in a lot of um, different methodologies and thought processes in the areas of like rehabilitation, pain science, uh, neurodynamics, and a lot of fascial interventions. So I'm kind of a uh, not just the whole I'm gonna crack your back and see you later kind of chiropractor. I work more in the sports medicine Department I've um, been practicing now for five years. I started off in Portland uh, Went to China, then Nigeria. Now I'm in LA setting down some roots again
0: Yeah, that had to be uh, quite the change of pace uh, We've got a former colleague who's over in China as an athletic trainer right now Oh, very uh, cool working with the fencing team and so I've gotten to hear some of that stuff
1: Is he In uh, Shanghai, Guangzhou Beijing
0: i honestly don't know where he is right now it sounds like he is traveling all over the place um
1: that's what i the did national
0: that. team so yeah.
1: we'll see. same thing i did oh
0: uh, i think i don't know you want to talk about internationally to start off since we kind of finished yeah. with that like what was that like especially going over um different cultures i know one thing that um, my colleague said he's kind of struggled with is just breaking that cultural barrier but then the ability to get them to trust uh, especially coming in as an you know a foreigner to help them out
1: yeah it's um it has unique challenges pros both um, per pros and cons uh, I would say the hardest thing is um, you know, if anybody ever has the opportunity to go over work in specifically Asian cultures such as China we really need to understand there is a huge diff- different way of thinking um, And especially if you're a young, younger clinician, such as myself, I went over there at 28 years old, Um, age there is quite important because um, it's there's like here you respect your elders here in the United States, you know, respecting your elders is a thing, there it's life, you know, like, if you're if you're a sibling, and you're one year older, that's huge in the family dynamics, where here, it doesn't kind of matter that much, you know, it's not as important. So the, the, you Do your research on like things like what does it mean to keep face? Uh, what does it mean to like? How do they think? Because that's how you're gonna get maximum performance out of an athlete. Is you have to understand how they think, so that you can kind of you can go into those biases and explain it in a way that they can understand. So that's 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 the hardest obstacle. The hardest obstacle is not the language barrier. The yeah. hardest, hardest obstacle is how do you get inside. Of the old dome, the old noggin, and help that athlete perform at their maximum level, and that was—I mean, I'm a—I was a country, country bumpkin raised on a tractor that kind of thing. So me going over to, to Shanghai without any coaching, without any cultural classes. I mean, I got off. Um, they, I got called up by Altus, which is a track and field kind oh of um, track and field powerhouse. Right. Uh, uh, in Phoenix, where all the best track and field athletes in the world train, and they called me up and asked me if I wanted to go to China, and I was like, mm, no. <laughs> and my mentor at the time, Philip Snow, uh, like literally physically slapped me in the back of the head and was like, "No, you got to go. This is a great opportunity." Then I thought about it. I was like, "Sure, I'll go." And then I was like, "Okay, so when when's this thing start?" Well, two weeks. <laughs> so. I originally had two weeks it turned out to be a month but I thought that I was leaving the country in two weeks so I get there and it, yeah you just if you're gonna work in a foreign country you have to be extremely flexible Because you get there I thought I was working with one team in Shanghai I get I get shipped to another city called Guangzhou because it was warmer there to work with an entirely different team and then I, so I was just bouncing around team to team and you kind of just have to go with the flow, in, in and in because a, they're gonna they're gonna put you places, and what's on your contract is not what's probably gonna happen. <laughs> so, so your contract doesn't mean anything there. It's just you gotta you gotta go with the flow, and you gotta be super malleable, adaptive. Right. And, and it can be it can be quite it was a, quite a shock for me those first few months. It took me a little bit. Um, the way I actually learned was going out to the bars and talking to other foreigners that had been there for a while and explaining things to me.
0: <laughs> I had uh the fortune to go over to India a couple times to do a couple week long you know a couple courses when I was only there for like a week to ten days but yeah you want to talk about something completely different and mm. trying to understand and whether they're actually getting anything out of it and it took, it took a little getting used to but it was worth it
1: yeah 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 indian that that India that's a completely different culture as well yeah so th- Let's see. So then also I had the opportunity to work in Nigeria. I was helping the Nigerian soccer team prepare for the World Cup a bit. And that was um, a completely uh, different set of um, obstacles, whereas um, you're working with these very talented athletes that don't have an athletic background. Does that make sense? Yep. So they don't have any traditional strength training. Probably never been in a gym, from what I can tell. At least not a proper gym. Right. No, no idea of lifting mechanics, and basically they just good at soccer. And they, 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 drive around the villages, and they like look at that, like look at that guy, and then they grab him, and and you know they start they start going up through the ranks. So that's a completely uh, different environment, and um, and a completely different world, really. Uh, my wife is also Nigerian, so I understand that culture way better. So that was much much easier. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So every single country you go to, you're gonna have to adapt, and you're gonna have to, and you're gonna have to just find out their belief systems. That's the biggest thing. Language is whatever, because you can always have translation. You can use right. simple, simple words, but if you don't speak in a way that they that resonates with their goals, then you're gonna you're gonna run into trouble. And I I definitely had trouble my first three months in China, but then I adapted and it was fine.
0: For sure. Anything else you wanted to cover quickly in background? Uh, Uh, I really want to jump into this dermal traction method and just kind of where that came about with maybe some background, like you said, in your myofascial uh, techniques and different things that you've learned and done along the way.
1: Okay, so dermal traction method. Let's do a little history lesson. So after I graduated in 2014, I started working with a guy named Philip Smith, Philip Snell, who's, who's becoming very well known as the, the low back guy. So as, as if you're looking for the best course to take on low back pain, he, without a doubt, is it. And basically, you get an acute low back 10 out of 10 pain with antalgic forward lean. Like, okay, I can't get out of bed because my back hurts so much. And within visit one, we can get them deadlifting 35 pounds from the floor without pain. And it's just, it's just about using pain science, movement, McKenzie... Neurodynamics and every tool we've ever learned together to to really empower that patient that they're not broken and their their spine is not like it's not something that's good like they don't have a bad back they just need to learn how to move properly and right. uh, and spare the things that are being stressed excessively. Apologize, I have a little bit of a cold, so I've running nose. No, you're all good. Uh, <clears throat> so, and then dermal traction. So that was a kind of a little bit of a background there. So. Let me get more in the background so dermal traction was co-invented by myself and dr Philip Snell of fix your own back uh about let's see back in like 2000 what is it now 13 or 14 and the way it came about was um uh, one of my good friends ben ramos who's a chiropractor in san diego we were the very first chiropractors from my understanding in the united states to be trained by um, a clinician out of Australia, a PT, known as Michael Shacklock, and he teaches neurodynamics. Fantastic course. And so it, and we took that information, we came back, and Philip and I were discussing one day, we had a plantar fasciitis case that was not responding to anything else that we did, and it was really frustrating us. And we were like, we knew that the, the saphenous nerve supplied that, the skin of that area. We didn't, so we knew the anatomy, but we didn't have a tool to address that anatomy. Okay. So we started troubleshooting. Like, okay, based on what we learned from Shacklock and knowing principles and research related to how macro nerves move, a.k.a. the sciatic nerve, spinal cord, that kind of thing, how those guys move and what kind of um, physiology related to compression syndromes uh, versus intrin- intrinsic pressure on nerves, we started, how would we apply that information to cutaneous nerves, nerves that live in the skin? And from that, we came up with Dermal Traction Method, which is basically um, finding that cutaneous nerve in the skin, so being very specific on where you place your hands, providing a traction motion and having them go through the provocative mo- motion um, that was bothering them. So in the plantar fasciitis case, it was they're walking on their heels, and it was causing them sharp pain. Did dermal traction at the medial ankle. Pain was completely reduced. And the important thing about this case that really kind of exploded this was we did that. And this this is something we a patient that we threw the kitchen sink at, mm-hmm. with us, which was a lot of information that we were throwing at this guy that we you know, we learned from all over the world, and wasn't responding. We did that as a trial, and. He, it responded great he went to Europe and walked around in Europe on a vacation for three weeks didn't have any flare-ups came back three months later and his pain was still gone so that was that was really quite substantial so we we're like okay so let's start extrapolating this to the whole body and, and and here we are today in 2019 and we have the entire body mapped up into cutaneous nerves how to treat them when it's clinically indicated, um, and how it how it applies to the overall treatment paradigm, and how you can use it as a home care exercise, if you will, or mobilization that they can do at home. In a way, it kind of gets rid of the lacrosse ball that's so popular in CrossFit. Right. Yeah.
0: So. Oh, go ahead.
1: So basically, it's um the cutaneous nerves. It's funny enough that we have this podcast. I actually got a paper cut. Right there. <laughs> nice. You got a paper cut yesterday. A cutaneous nerve is like a paper cut. There's not a huge amount of tissue issues, but it hurts like shit. <laughs>
0: right. Yep.
1: So if you address that, you can make intense pain, like you know, very sharp, pinpoint pain, reduce quite quickly. And when I say quite quickly, I mean like 10 seconds, like instantly. Um, if, it is, if, if it is in true entrapment syndrome of the cutaneous nerve in the superficial fascia, So it can be a very powerful method of modulating pain. Now am I here claiming that it fixes the source of the problem? I don't. I, I can't make that claim. But it is a powerful tool in the toolbox, especially if you're... Like for me, I work with track athletes. If they're in between intervals and they have knee pain, let's say... It's a very quick thing that I can do to get just in between the intervals for them to get back on the track and reduce their pain so they can finish the workout, get the metabolic and physiologic need, exercise needs that we need for to run fast because there's more to the, <laughs> the equation than just rehab. You know, you got you to gotta be a sports performance clinician. They still have to be fit. and right. So that's where dermal traction, from what I see, kind of fits into the, the treatment paradigm of working in a sports setting. There's also the chronic pain setting, but we can talk about that if, later.
0: <laughs> so that brings up a bunch of questions, um, but I think good ones, and I'll let you kind of say how much you want to without giving away kind of the nuts and bolts of the course. I'm sure that you are involved with it, but um, the, the track instance that you used, and I've wondered this you know, multiple times with different interventions we've used in the past. Um, I've worked with some track in my career as well but so in that instance where you said they come over and they have like generalized knee pain and this is something to potentially help get them through in your experience like how often do you see that where it's just necessarily like a pain signal versus something like physically wrong in the musculoskeletal system that potentially is causing that and then kind of to throw two questions at you How do you see this and kind of going along with trigger points and some of their referred pain theories?
1: Okay. Um, Let's see, where to start?
0: Sorry, that was a lot.
1: Can we start with the trigger point part? Sure. Okay. Well, first, to discuss trigger points, we have to have an active definition of what a trigger point is. Yeah. But we don't have that because nobody can agree on what a trigger point is. Right. Uh, From a surgical standpoint, If you cut somebody open exactly where there's a trigger point with referred pain when you push on it, there's nothing there. There's no balled up fascia. So um, I don't know what a trigger point is exactly. Okay. To just be like very honest. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that the the pain phenomena don't exist, but I I can't really classify what it is that's actually causing the pain to my current knowledge. Uh, So... Therefore, uh, it's a little different because this doesn't necessarily it's usually there is referred pain syndrome with this, but it's usually pretty it's pretty pinpoint pain. So like for example, I mean mm-hmm. if you have pain in the anterior shoulder and it hurts right there and I pull right there and lift it again and it doesn't hurt, then then that's that's not probably not a trigger point. It's, gotcha. yep. it's exactly the opposite. The way most people treat trigger points is they push on it, right? Right. I'm suggesting exactly the opposite, a lifting effect, almost yeah. like traditional Chinese cupping Yep. But without the bruising, without the blood stagnation, and with movement. So it's a lot more practical and dynamic. So, so. It's, so it's not a treatment that should be replacing other treatments. It's just a new tool in the, in the belt to address a tissue strata that most most of us never considered before. Right. So what was the other question? Sorry.
0: Um, Just like in terms of looking at like that track athlete that you had mentioned that might have like knee pain as your example. And, you know, we're applying this and not thinking that there is a potential like musculoskeletal injury that's causing that.
1: And just kind of
0: how you would run through that real quick with, like you said, still returning them. To what they're doing without a full rewarm up or basically stopping practice in order to get it taken care of.
1: Right. So we wouldn't stop practice. I mean, the reason, like at Altus, what we would do is literally if they have 90 seconds rest between intervals, that's, I got, I have 45 seconds to address a problem. So it's not, I don't have that much time and we're not going to stop a workout unless we absolutely have to, because you start, start, stop stopping workouts and people that have worked in track know that people always have aches and pains. Right. So, you know, we're not going to stop because that workout is what's, is what's going to make that athlete succeed. What I'm doing is just a supplementary, um, addition to keep them out there so that they can succeed. So, So from a biomechanical standpoint, if they have, let's say, medial knee pain, and I I do dermal traction method and it works, great. Now, after the workout or like in a a, a clinical setting, I'm going to be looking at how that hip and ankle work and how they're controlling, what their ground reaction forces are that's causing that nerve to have a quick stretch and get irritated. So maybe they're not controlling their pelvis. Or their oblique chain from opposite shoulder to hip is off. Uh, maybe they're um, they're arching their back a little bit when they lift that, that that right leg, which is causing them to lose stability of the 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 relationship between the pelvic and the uh, the pelvic floor and the diaphragm. The the possibilities from a biomechanical model of why they're having knee pain, are that's when things can get quite complicated. Right. And, um, I mean, most of the time, it's not complicated. It's pretty easy to see what the hell's going on. But what I'm saying is, is if you do DTM in between the workouts, in, 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 during the workout, it gives you an idea of where to start searching in your orthopedic and clinical exam.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. So whatever nerve you addressed, think about from a biomechanical st- perspective, how would that nerve become stressed? Yep. And then, and then that it's giving you a big window into um, how you're going to progress. Say a, a rehabilitation uh, programming and manual therapy, and pretty much everything.
0: Right. So is that something with like your patients that you see on a regular basis? Do you use it as part of like your evaluation and your screening.
1: I use it as part of the big picture, so it is kind of a part of an evaluation and screening. For example. <coughs> let's say they have upper back pain and um, I do dermal traction on the T1 dorsal rami and it takes away all of their pain. My job is not done. I still need to adjust the lower the lower neck biomechanics and see what's becoming stress that's causing that T1 dorsal rami to become irritated in the first place. Is it because they're in a computer posture like this and they're stressing their head's in front of their body and they're stressing that area of the body, you know, the possibilities are endless. Is it because they're a pitcher and they're, and they're not controlling, um, they're not planting their front leg very well and rotating through the hip. As a result, they're kind of doing some shoulder hiking and they're like this, you know, the, the, so it's just part of the exam. It's just piecing together. The way I like to think about doing an exam is if we look at it from a um, a statistics standpoint. Do you remember scatter plots? Oh yes. Okay, so you have a line of best fit, right? You have a bunch yep. of data, like that looks like just a bunch of dots, and then you find a line of best fit, right? That's the way I look at a clinical exam. You have a bunch of findings that point you in a general direction, and but if you if you just focus on one of those dots, you could very easily miss the big picture. Right. Especially if you're focusing on an outlier. Yeah, no, definitely. So that's that's why we do the line of best fit in statistics. So that's that's the way I look at clinical exams. You're going to get a bunch of noise, but which, which direction is it leading you?
0: That makes sense. I, I had I'd never heard an oh, analogy like that to it before, but I, I like that one. That's good.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I sucked at statistics, too, but that stuck.
0: <laughs> oh, it's one area that I'm like, man, if I ever had just you know a spare whatever to pretend to go and figure it out better i would but yeah. if you,
1: if you want to get better at that stuff uh patrick ward is the guy okay Patrick Ward. he's with the seattle seahawks he and he's a numbers man like crazy he's good at that stuff
0: we will look that up anything else that you'd like to touch on with uh dermal attraction method that we didn't get to
1: I think that um, that's pretty well covered. Um, I do teach seminars related to that. It's not exclusively dermal traction method. I teach a weekend course, which is um, the clinical, the clinical audit process and um, dermal traction together in a full weekend. So okay. The it kind of the way I treat is very sometimes different. I think because I've taken so many seminars, I pick and choose what tool I want for which. Yep. I teach is I combine all those tools together and I and I teach the idea and the mindset that if you don't get a significant clinical positive outcome with a with an intervention, whether it's manual therapy, exercise, whatever, then you probably don't actually have a legitimate diagnosis. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, that makes complete sense. I so, that's one that we've really focused on. Is not living in the extremes of anything, in that it's it's never the same per person. Or if there was one method that fixed everything, that that would be the method. But like there
1: is. Example, if you have bicipital tendonitis, to, I'm not even going to call it tendonitis because that's so rare. Bicipital pain here, yeah, pain in the front of the shoulder. If you have that, there's a, there's a million reasons you to have that, like, right. And that's just an anatomical area of the body that you have pain, but you don't know why it hurts, unless you reduce it. Right. That's the that's that's the whole point of the course is how to reduce pain very quickly using pick and choosing from various thought processes from around the world, and then just apply it. It's what I, I call it the the first visit course. What to do on the first visit. To get maximum results, and ultimately, I have this beard for a reason, because I'm a young—I mean, I'm 30 years old. People, I—I I only have about 10-15 minutes to really get people's attention. Right. Or they just think I'm some young kid that doesn't know what he's talking about.
0: <laughs> Can so, understand that.
1: So it comes from that where I need to impress people, I need to wow people, I need to take down their pain by 40-50 percent, quite quite quickly so that I can establish trust, and I can truly help them over the long term.
0: So when you say you kind of pick and choose from the things that you like, are, do you have some favorites? I don't. I hesitate to say go-to's, but ones that you
1: see? I mean, I have favorites in different regions of the body. Um, like, you know, for, if we're talking spine, obviously McKenzie, and uh, neurodynamics, both of which I have permission to teach. Um, so mckenzie Neurodynamics, DTM, uh, and then DNS, Dynamic Neuromuscular Stabilization out of Prague. So those are kind of like my staples, if you will. And then I throw in different um, manual therapies from different areas. Uh, it, it, it's actually quite simple. Like once you look at the body from a global perspective, you're, you end up doing the same 8 to 10 things. On everyone, the first visit, right? With certain exceptions, if you get like a wrist that comes in, that might be a little, a little different because the wrist is pretty far away from the spine. Um, but maybe not, you know. So basically, screen the spine first before you do anything, and then screen the spine first, then eliminate stresses on the area of the spine that is in the same myotome, dermatome as your pain pattern, and then see what happens. And if that doesn't work, move on. But you're going to find 60 to 80% of the time, if you just do those two things, the pain's going to clear up quite quickly. And as I explained to my patients, pain getting you out of pain is the easy part. It's keeping you out of pain that that's going to require the work.
0: Right. I've seen those with a couple other things. It's like, oh, it went away. It's like, yeah, but now how do we maintain that yet still let you be an active person or compete in your sport and allow you to do what you want to do and maintain that for the long run.
1: Exactly. So that's that's um that's that's exactly the the way I, I go about this is like let's get you out of pain because when the house is on fire, it doesn't matter if it's an electrical problem, the gas stove blew up. You don't care. You want fire department to come and put the fire out. Right. And then we're going to reverse engineer the process and figure out what the hell's wrong. That's that's the way I explain it to patients.
0: I like that. That's a good analogy. That's one I think um, I've seen, at least in our athletic training population, is we get very focused on the pain is here, what is wrong here, and don't necessarily always address that kind of working in-to-out or what could be the other confounding factors. We're hoping it's just that one specific area, and that's what we aim to fix.
1: And there's been a large push in, let's say, the social media world to kind of negate the what's going on here thing, and ignore it and just look globally. And, and I'm kind of trying to bring it back to like, yeah, let's look globally, but what's going on here? <laughs>
0: right. You need a healthy dose of both.
1: What is the, the pain generating mechanism? Right. Like, you know, Great. Um, you have valgus collapse of your knee, which is probably one of the only things that has any kind of clinical relevance in the research. Great, you have that. Um, yeah, well, we're going to address your hip, knee, core. What you know, whatever. But you still need to figure. You still need to assess what structures in the medial knee are generating the pain. Right. The mechanism behind that medial knee pain, whether it's spinal derived or not, you at least need to know so you can expedite
0: treatment yeah yeah, i was glad you brought up cupping that's one that i've used for several years now um not traditional but just suction right up with it and baffled myself a little bit it's just like okay like that's getting rid of all of these issues and it feels great but i don't know that we're actually affecting a whole lot of Structures in terms of like getting down deep into like if there's quad pain like putting cups on the quad You're not getting that deep into any muscle tissue um, So I think this is Interesting just in how, or is it really just a pain modulation thing while we still trying and figure out what the heck is actually causing all that issue?
1: Yeah, and there's I mean there's different camps from around the world and there's different ways of thinking the sexy thing on Social media these days is oh, it's just a pain. It's just a pain modulation thing brain <laughs> Thing. it's just your brain modulating pain and that's absolutely has some value but the problem that I see and I've only been out five years but I have had the opportunity to take and learn from thought leaders from very different backgrounds mm-hmm. the thing that I find overwhelmingly to happen is that once people get into a belief system they kind of just put everything into that belief system, a.k.a. it must be the brain and everything's controlled by the brain. So let's just tell everyone to be happy and they'll start to feel better. Right. Or or it's the fascia and everything's caused by tight fascia. So let's just work the fascia and ignore the brain and ignore rehab. Or it's everything's a movement problem and let's just work rehab and and screw the other stuff because it doesn't matter because everything's a movement biomechanical issue. And I inverse and, and since I've been exposed to all these different people, it, it becomes frustrating when I'm like, okay, if it's 40% the brain, 30% movement, and mm-hmm. what, 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 70%, there we go, and then 30%, 20% fascia, and 10% nerve. Right. If you're, which is probably a legit clinical scenario, it's never 100% one thing, probably. The body is a crazy, complex, dynamic system like if you if you only focus on forty percent thirty percent ten percent, your results are going to be forty percent thirty percent ten percent based on which camp you decide to you decide to go into, and you are gonna help a lot of people that fall into that forty percent category, but you're not going to help everyone
0: right oh, I like that um that kind of brings up another question because you kind of brought it up with people focusing on one thing where do you on all of this? Kind of fall on the evidence-based practice versus kind of evidence-influence practice versus practice-based evidence. Um, it just—I can picture as you were saying some of those camps. Potentially, I, some people that you could be referencing that I know are very. This is this is it. This is the thing, but.
1: So I come from a standpoint of I'm not a researcher. I'm a clinician. So my responsibility. My obligation as a healthcare provider has nothing to do with evidence. What I mean by that is, I'm my responsibility is to help that patient feel better, and if I do a treatment that doesn't have any evidence behind it, such as DTM, DTM has zero evidence behind it. Mm-hmm. There's indirect evidence that I use from other macro nerves, and there's lots of indirect nev- evidence that I use from all over the, but there's no direct evidence that DTM works. So is it for me? if I just go down the evidence base camp where I I withdraw that treatment from my arsenal because there is no evidence behind it, I find that unethical.
0: Interesting. So, I, had, I hadn't worked that far down that line. I like that, though.
1: Yeah, so many people are like, if there's no evidence, I don't do it. Right. And I'm just kind of like, you're full of shit. <laughs> it's well, all right. I
0: wondered on those, it's just like, okay, if there's no evidence for it, then it's not good. So what do you... What do you do? Like I don't. I haven't done well, you know, my due diligence in going through all of the evidence for all the things. You know, just I just haven't gotten there yet. But there's well, so much contradiction in the evidence that it's hard to extrapolate things anyway.
1: Not, is, not only is there contradiction in evidence, which is why we have systematic reviews, which is to give you that whole scatter plot scenario again yeah. with all the line of best fit. Yeah. Um, not only, but there's biases. Like Uh-oh. what like what is the researcher trying to show? Like what is it they're trying to prove to themselves and others? So that's gonna throw out a huge bias. So you could have an evidence that shows whatever treatment A is superior to treatment B. Like for example, if you want to destroy the the idea that exercise doesn't matter, like if you want to set up a clinical trial and, and you have a, a bias in your head that I don't think exercise really matters for low back pain. All they need is time to heal because you know most people get better with time. Right. You could set up a clinical study that shows time is better than exercise just by the way you choose it, just by the way you set up the clinical trial. Right. Is, is that really evidence? It's some evidence. It's some evidence that whatever you chose for your exercise intervention wasn't effective, but that doesn't mean that exercise is a global perspective. Is ineffective
0: yeah the blanket statements out of that
1: yeah and, and I'm man, as a seminar present, pr- pr- presenter it's really hard not to do those blanket statements because people really like to to latch on to them and they really like to fall into camps and tribes and it reminds me of like you know like little tribes that go to a little war with each other about who's right right and and to be honest nobody's right nobody has it all figured out not myself nobody like we're still learning. If we had it all figured out, then we would stop researching. So that's kind of like my own pet peeve of what I've noticed um, with my, some of my mentors, some of um, other people people out there is they really, they become quite n- well known for falling into a camp and being quite argumentative on that camp. And I have no qualms, pain science crowd is the worst. I have n- nothing against pen science. I read the shit out of pain science research, and I use that in my clinical practice every day. But I'm not a psychologist. If I wanted to be a psychologist, I would have got the degree for it. So, and I have a minor in psychology, so maybe I am a psychologist.
0: I mean, you got you at least got some credibility to it, and not but, just a book you wrote over the weekend.
1: But my minor in psychology, you could read three books and get the same information, probably. <laughs> but, you know, what is a degree even worth? Fair. Yeah, fair. You know what i'm kind of saying like we need to be able to learn everything and not get so pigeonholed into a a technique system or a line of thought and i think that in the next five years those weaknesses of being in one camp are actually going to start to show their ugly faces
0: I've wondered that same thing and I've gone back and forth on, you know, this quote, jack of all trades, you know, is that a good thing or is a bad thing or just the way that the world's going? Do you need to specialize? And I think it's all within a context, but no, I'm with you because I think it's, it's the same thing. Like if you, all you have for a tool is a hammer, everything you see, looks like a nail, whether it is or it is not. And you can miss some really big things. And so you either a need to, expand what you do kind of that jack of all trades or you gotta have a really good team where everybody can check their ego Mm you know where everybody can work together and you know if i'm not getting something to respond in my kind of areas that i think are going to work i could turn over to you and say hey you give it a shot because i'm not something i'm not seeing that maybe you would and i think that's unbelievably important
1: yeah totally man and where is i gonna go with this i'm not opposed to anybody's I am kind of the jack of all trades. If we want to like put a label, yeah. and that's purposely what I'm doing, just because I want to be able to help as big as much people as I can. Because there's still people I can't help sometimes, right. which is why I keep learning. Um, if you want to specialize, there's absolutely nothing wrong with specializing. It's it's called in marketing. It's called a niche market. Right. Really easy way to become known for a particular thing like low back pain, whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. What, what becomes wrong is when you say everyone else is wrong when they don't agree with your specialization. That's 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 when we start running into <clears throat> some really ethical issues, in my opinion. Agreed. And, and it it's on the same grounds as racism, as in my opinion, like it's 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 like hating somebody else for their belief system or the color of their skin or whatever. It's just like it's madness that it's perpetuated in. In the medical community in the United States yeah it doesn't happen in other places it's just the United States
0: interesting well you know everybody's gotta make a buck on social media and have the latest and greatest
1: yeah you could cut this out but I'm gonna say it anyways just because I think it's funny um, I describe I, I think of these um, most of this stuff kinda like and I don't know why we're getting into this but it's a bunch of it's like like hanging out with a bunch of six grade six six year uh ah, sixth grade boys when everyone's talking about who has the biggest dick, but yet nobody's willing to actually whip it out and show it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, we can cut that out, but that's, that's essentially the way I look at this stuff. Everyone's talk, bragging, but nobody's willing to like, prove it. <laughs>
0: right. No, I, I agree with that. Um, I know you said you got a patient probably in like 15 minutes or so. Uh, did you want to kind of jump into the questions that we kind of ask everybody? We can tailor yeah. them as the time allows because I don't want you to be late for that. Yeah, totally. So the first one, um, just because we kind of jumped into it before is, you know, in your area of expertise, and if you could define that for us, um, how would you make what you do that is complicated simple? And you said that's what you kind of do on the weekends. So how would you yeah. kind of summarize that?
1: So What is my area of expertise? I would call myself just a, um, a generalist on pain and movement dysfunction. Um, that's where I have focused all my time. Um basically I focused all my time learning and how do I get somebody that is a, has a problem, whatever it is, and how do I help them? Is it that they can't pick up their child because their back's hurting? Is it you know, blah blah blah, blah fill in the blanks? That's where I, I don't I don't do nutrition that much. I don't do any of the functional neurology stuff. I'm I'm just uh what is it that you can't do with your body and let's make you do it? That, it's general. So what is it that's complicated?
0: Um, that you could make simple?
1: Um, well, this is actually, I mean, this is what I teach in my seminars, is uh, the majority of pretty much, ooh, it doesn't matter the complaint the body, about 80% of it's going to boil down to six things, six movements and, or exercises that you could do that will probably reduce the symptoms. Day one. I'm not claiming fixing. I'm saying modulate that patient's symptoms so they can be more functional and dynamic in, those life, in their lives. Usually it's a spine-centered movement, a, a neurodynamic movement of either the spine or upper or lower extremity, and an educational resource on how to stop stressing that tissue. That usually turns into about five or six things. I just listed three. Fair enough. So the human body treating a patient, getting somebody out of pain, if you know what you're looking for, it's it's, it's not that difficult for your run of the mill, I have whatever kind of pain patient what feeds most of our practices. Is that does that answer your question?
0: It does. That that's was well said. Okay. Um we stole this one from Tim Ferriss, but we had tailored it. What would be the most influential fitness purchase for under a hundred bucks or around? Anything that you recommend or that you
1: use? Um, are we talking about books? Are we talking about?
0: Um, just anything, and book recommendations could be right after it. So.
1: Oh, book recommend is right after it. Most influential purchase. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I mean, we have a fifty dollars membership fee to DTM, so that's pretty cheap. There you go. Maybe I'll plug myself there.
0: Hey, nothing wrong with that.
1: And Philip, yeah, actually, honestly, for fifty bucks, that's probably the best educational resource you'll get. Okay, you could have charged a thousand, probably, but we we wanted everyone to get this information because for sure, so simple and effective.
0: Well, then, right into book recommendations.
1: Uh do you have a particular subject
0: I mean anything that you whether it's you know business leadership things like that or specifically to how you treat people we're all we're just looking for what you consider some of your favorites
1: some of my favorites oh man That's a good question because i have so many i can't even remember them all because <laughs> I mean if you have a in in the low back world if you haven't read McGill's books, you definitely should. Yep. Um, if you couple McGill's books with like a a book a pain science book like World of Hurt, you can very quickly piece the bi- biomechanical model and the pain science model together and, and have a really well-rounded view of low back pain. So I would say I would put those two together. And from there, because most of us see low back pain more than anything else at least if i extrapolate to the nation Yep. from there you can take those concepts that you learn and then extrapolate to the whole entire body
0: i like it uh, the last one we'll go with is if you could go back and tell yourself something in your training or your education if um going back five to ten years so maybe five just um, or seven, kind of right when you're starting chiropractic school, what would you go back and tell yourself?
1: Um, I probably would have not gone to chiropractic school. Interesting. Um, mainly because, like most most of this stuff, I, I probably would have just been a massage therapist because everything that I've learned that I use on pac- patients on a daily basis, I didn't learn in chiropractic school. Except for orthopedic tests, neuro, um, you know pathology, and all that stuff—all the things that come with being a doctor. So, um, if I—if there's a young aspiring person that just wants to work with movement and pain, you can—you can. I would save the two hundred thousand dollars that you spend in chiropractic school, and I would spend it on seminars, and you would be in you twenty years ahead of where you would be. After four years of doing that, than you would be after four years of chiropractic school. Because chiropractic school is great; it's a very valuable tool, but it's a very limited tool from an entire perspective. Um, and that's just my opinion. I, I know that some chiropractors here are going to like slice my jugular vein and stuff like that. Uh, that's 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 honestly kind of my opinion right now. Like, I, I enjoy having the word doctor in front of my name; it makes me feel like I'm important or something. But realistic. Um. If I would have just been very, very motivated as a person, I wouldn't. That's not necessary. I probably would have just went to physical therapy school, so I don't have to like defend myself every day. I'm a chiropractor. Oh my god.
0: I can imagine that. Yeah.
1: You know, it gets really freaking old just having to defend yourself because of some dumbasses out there saying they can cure cancer.
0: Yeah, we still got to separate ourselves from the personal trainer.
1: Yeah. Well, there's some personal trainers out there that are freaking good, man.
0: That you aren't wrong. Yeah, you, you aren't wrong there. Yeah. So just to wrap up again, because I know you got to get going with the patient. Where can people find you? Find more information. Whatever else you want to plug.
1: Well, um, the easiest thing is I'm kind of plugging my my, my personal website, which is drjustindean and from there I write I write some blog posts mainly generated because i'm kind of focusing on my clinic so they're really written for the lay public yep but if you're in if you're if you're not a lay person you will definitely find them int- intriguing as well it's just not going to have the jargon the medical jargon as much uh i specifically have a sciatica page on there right now that okay. I think most people will find pretty helpful um and maybe we can link that in the show notes i think that Absolutely. most people will like that um <clears throat> or you can follow me on instagram at dr. Justin Dean pretty easy you can email me anytime if you have questions at dr. Justin Dean at gmail.com so I keep my my branding pretty simple
0: <laughs> Good call.
1: Uh, I, I listened to a book recently like you can have everything taken from you but you can't have your name taken from you so oh, like,
0: you know. I, I think years ago I went and bought my name as a domain just so I had it
1: oh smart yeah I did that a long time ago as well so so it looks like the next question uh, we have one more right um, which one was that what's the next progression oh
0: yeah what do you see just moving forward uh, with progression with patience you know just from what you've seen so far kind of coming up um, you know with the dermal traction like do you see a next frontier
1: the next frontier um, like with personally or like like globally
0: Ah, however you want to frame that. Like, what do you see yourself, let's just do you, what you see kind of you evolving into.
1: Well, it's both me and globally. I would say the the next tier of um, world-class clinicians will be who integrates everything together. I, I, I think that's where these things are going because there's so much information exploding and there's so many different camps but the body doesn't think in segmental terms. We just give the brain, we just give things a name because we that's how we communicate to each other as humans. But the human body doesn't think that way. So the clinician trainer, ATC, that can effectively link all that stuff together, which is exactly my mission, will take the... That's the next frontier, I think. That's what's going to take all of us to the next level is is how and, and how we understand the human body. It's not just fascia, it's not just the brain, it's not just nerves, it's not just happy feelings. It's everything combined together. And how do you navigate that system effectively? Uh, and that's that's really <laughs> that's where I see these things going.
0: I like it and couldn't couldn't disagree with you if I wanted to.
1: <laughs> uh so yeah that's um thanks for having me on the show do you have any other questions based on what we talked about um, i don't
0: think so right now um i would love to do a round two at some point specifically with track and field athletes um, right. i did that i worked with, with it at the university of kansas and again at oklahoma state uh we've got a heck of a track program at where i'm at now so i uh, would love to do a round two sometime just discussing more of the specifics of that and Getting into more details, or specifically, if you had things that you wanted to cover in terms of that, we could definitely tailor an episode to that.
1: Well, to track and field would definitely be a good thing, be a good episode because I was a track and field athlete myself. Okay, so that's that's um <clears throat> like runners specifically is an area that I've focused quite a bit. I was a uh, I ran a two twenty eight marathon back in the day, so I've, like, I've definitely done. I've walked the walk in the running world, like right. Like, so there's you know, there's, there's there's a certain language with every sport, you know, that, that people can relate to. Yep. You have to like say certain things, you have to if you've never ran 100 mile a hundred mile week, then you can't relate to somebody that has. Right. <laughs> so that's that's so that'd be a very interesting topic of discussion because distance runners are crazy, crazy bastards and Yes, they are. Yeah, and you can have knee pain for six months. I remember in college, I bruised my foot, and I was limping around walking, but I literally ran on that thing for six months.
0: That wouldn't shock me. That was, I worked with a pretty good distance crew at Oklahoma State, and some of the stuff those those guys would do to get through was incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's, 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 to understand the mind of a distance runner, is a completely different beast. <laughs> I would say that most people that have never done an extreme endurance sport – it's it's hard to relate to it it's like when i go into the weight room and i'm doing power claims i'm like why is this fun <laughs> yeah. yeah i gotta understand that yeah you know what i mean like i'm doing spot i'm doing like three or four of them and i'm like yeah, this sucks <laughs> why am i doing this <laughs> i still do it because i'm trying to get more of a i'm trying to be diversify myself but
0: <laughs> yeah nothing wrong with that
1: so so yeah man that's something for the future that we get to discuss
0: Awesome. Yes, that I think that would be a great episode, and one I'd just be curious
1: to get your insights on. So, yeah, I think I would probably have some u- unique, um, unique ideas there because I have been trained by some, uh, what's considered world leading experts in biomechanics, like yep. bio, like uh, Irene Davis. She was at Harvard. You know her, yep. and then Franz Bosch from Holland. Yep, yep. And a few others. So there's uh, there's quite a there's quite a few um people that have worked in track and field obviously i worked with altus with dan path a bit, so there's that so um i wouldn't i'm not pretending to be as knowledgeable as any of those people that i mentioned <laughs> from a biomechanics perspective but it's at least i can compare and contrast definitely yeah totally man
0: awesome well thank you for taking the time we really appreciate it I, this is gonna be a great episode we'll look forward to getting it out Thank you for checking out this episode of Clinically Press. Go to clinicallypress.com for full show notes and links to everything that was covered in this episode. While you're there, you have access to all of our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Press on YouTube and any other podcast outlet. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or review on how we are doing, we would greatly appreciate it. To get more free content delivered to your inbox, sign up for Total Athletic Therapy Newsletter. You'll get direct links to all Clinically Pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance, and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated,
1: simple, and optimized performance. Thank you for listening, and see you next episode.